0: Hi, this is Lynn Elmore, and you're listening to the Jake Brown Show.
1: And welcome to the Jake Brown show on radio.com, iTunes and Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio and Jake Brown Show. Joining us and now, you know if you know my brother went to Maryland, I'm a big Terps fan. Well, I was when he was there in the grievous days, and I always liked that Juan Dixon team that won the championship and a guy who had a successful run there an All-American at Maryland, and now he's a Fox Sports college basketball analyst. Len Elmore joins the show right now. Len, uh, I know you're calling to your Terps and Minnesota tomorrow. How you doing, man? I'm
0: doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: And we had about 20 technical problems before this, so Len uh, needs a cup of coffee to try and deal with me right now because these studios are—the uh, the end is near. This is the final week, and finally we got it to work. Um, I want to start with Trey Young because— You've seen the ups of Trey Young. You've seen the downs of him. Last night, eight turnovers in the first half, uh, twelve total, the most in a game in Big 12 history, and he's got the highest turnover per game uh, margin, five point two, in the last ten seasons in Division One. Uh, but he's shown us the signs that he can be the number one pick, and he could drop forty and make ten threes. What is your outlook, Len, on Trey Young so far?
0: Well, I mean, everybody wants to, you know, anoint the first. Uh, everybody wants to anoint the new it young man. And I would say that, you know, to me, the jury is still out. We know he is a tremendous, tremendous offensive player. Uh, right now there's a lot of reliance on him to carry the offensive load for Oklahoma. And that includes uh, running plays, executing, as well as scoring. And and that's a lot for an 18-year-old, um, for a freshman uh, with limited experience right now. And he's going to get better given uh, the opportunity. He's going to get better with better players around him, and he's going to probably get better when he doesn't have the heavy burden of responsibility that he's carrying right now. I think what Lon Kruger is trying to do is trying to give him his freedom, uh, something probably promised uh, Trey and his father when he signed to go to Oklahoma, but by the same token, you know, Lon, who is a, a pretty stellar guard in his day, is probably going to try to you give him, in part to him, some play discipline. And when I say play discipline, uh, to recognize there are other guys on the floor right now. You don't have to do it all by yourself. That you can move the ball. You can move without it. Um, you know, my my whole thing with point guards is, you know, you push the ball up the floor and explore the possibilities. Um, if you have an advantage, opportunity, you take it. Uh, if not, then during the shot clock, you run. Your plays and get other people involved. And maybe if there's an opportunity for you, you take it. But when the shot clock gets to 10 or under, it's up to the point guard to create for himself and others. And I think if you follow those three rules, I think you probably have more game discipline, and you know hopefully we'll see uh, see Young get into that.
1: And Trey averaging just under thirty and ten a game, uh, just under a double double. So when you look at his overall game, I mean, does is the what do you improve upon? Because you you see the guy can score an electric rate, uh, but the turnovers do alarm you. So I know you said more of getting it to your teammates, but what does he have to change in order to get that turnover number down?
0: again he's got to sometimes give up the ball and not mm-hmm. try to make the last pass um you know people we can throw out numbers 30 and 10 and say that's marvelous but you got to look behind those numbers as mm-hmm. well um you know you look at his usage rate you look at the number of shots per game he's taken his field goal percentage um true field goal percentage uh and and again you look at the assist turnover uh ratio and you know when you're going Ten assists, but you're turning it over six, seven times that that's not attractive and, and again I, I'm, he's a terrific player, but other people have to be involved to take that pressure off him because what's happening now is teams are loading up on him, and he's still trying to make the final play. Uh, as I said, when you get better teammates, uh, you know more quality and more skilled teammates, I, I think that pressure is reduced.
1: What team in the nation, Len, has surprised you thus far? For me, a couple of examples. I mean, Arizona State and Purdue have both been extraordinary. Uh, who in your mind has shocked you the most so far halfway through the season?
0: Well, I mean, I certainly would add Purdue in that mix. I mean, being ranked number three in the nation right now, I, I thought they were going to be a strong team, but losing Swanigan, among others, you know, I didn't think that they would be able to graduate to this level. So, you know, they're a surprise. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma. Certainly is a surprise as well. You know, a lot of big twelve teams, Texas Tech, I didn't think they're a top ten team at the beginning of the season. Um, who else can I talk about? Uh to TCU, uh, you know, Jamie Dixon's team, mm-hmm. they're they're surprising. And, and Ohio State, Chris Holtman just got there. And, you know, this is supposedly uh, you know, kind of a, a, a retooling year for Ohio State and they haven't had a great deal of success. Uh, under Tad Motto over the last couple of years, but they're ranked in the top 25. So, you know, among others, they're they're pretty tough. Uh, Auburn is another team that that, that has surprised me a little bit. Um, so, you know, it, it, it this is college basketball, and you know, the rankings are a snapshot. Uh, you know, what you see today, as we saw about a month ago, what you saw a month ago, you certainly aren't seeing it today. And what you see today, you're probably not going to see the same makeup. Uh, next month but mm-hmm. you know that's the beauty of this game
1: when do you truly evaluate a team and how good they are is it february after you've seen some conference games is it now what what point of the season is it
0: i, I think it's uh mid-february when coaches try to start getting uh teams on a run uh, you know you, you want to go in to the ncaa tournament or actually a conference tournament you want to go in with momentum. People say, well, that doesn't mean anything, but I think for the most part, it does. Every once in a while you have an anomaly of teams that, you know, lose some games, consecutive games, and suddenly they awaken during their conference tournament. Uh, but for the most part, I think mid-February, you're going to start telling whether or not a team has the chops to, to do something going forward. So, you know, I'm not sure if in fact there uh, if in fact, the, um, that you can really analyze and, and evaluate teams right now because they're still, you know, trying to find themselves and still find trying to find rotations, and others are trying to recover or adjust from injuries.
1: Len Elmore, college basketball analyst, joining us with Fox, formerly with ESPN. Um, do you miss the ESPN days at all?
0: Um, not really. I mean, I I missed I had a lot of friends over there, and, and I enjoyed the coverage that I did, whether it was the American Athletic uh, Conference or there was the ACC, Uh, but, you know, I have some friends who were formerly with ESPN that are now producing games and and, um, calling games for Fox as well. I mean, it's the nature of the business. I understand that, Um, you know, sometimes you get too old and you get too expensive for some of these groups. They want younger guys coming in. I don't see that and they can't say that because that would be against the law it'd be discriminatory. But mm-hmm. uh, from the standpoint <laughs> of, of uh, you know, payment, you know, from maybe making too much money for, you know, what they've tried to do and they wanted others there. I, I just think it's a new lease on life for me to, to really be able to do a couple more years of, of quality television and, and good college basketball before, you know, I kind of settle into my next gig, which, uh, you know, we'll be teaching them. Oh. Taking a position at uh, Columbia University as a, a lecturer in their sports management program in the nice. School of Professional Studies. So, and, and I'll still be doing games, hopefully, but, um, you know, I've got all this institutional knowledge that. You know, it doesn't need to stay in my head. I should pass it on, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's cool. And that you'll be in New York, uh, so we'll have to have you in sometime. And it's interesting to hear that. I got laid off from CBS for my full-time gig uh, the day after, I think, those ESPN layoffs happened. So that week was brutal for not just espn but other companies including cbs radio with the merger with Entercom. a lot of people were let go uh such as myself so it's interesting to hear the foreign perspective you obviously are very talented and got a another opportunity but there's people out there uh who still are on the prowl and still looking for that next chance uh from espn so it, it is intriguing how many people they cut and then months later they did another huge layoff and to see where uh where kind of the bricks fall for some of these people
0: yeah, I mean, the one thing we all have to understand is that it is a business. It's a high-level corporate business. Um, they're moved by the bottom line and nothing else. And, you know, no matter how many friendships you make, no matter how many relationships that you develop that you think are quality relationships, your existence is really dictated by the bottom line.
1: Len Elmore joining us on The Jake Brown Show. You are from New York City, correct? Yes, I um, am. Born and raised. What, what part of the city are you from?
0: I was born in Brooklyn, um, you know, lived in Bed-Stuy, East New York for a while, and then um, when my father got a city job, we moved to Queens and and had our own home, uh, you know, in the South Jamaica Springfield Gardens area.
1: Southside Jamaica, Queens. That's where everything goes down. Um, I knew you had a little Brooklyn in you. Uh, my mom is from Brooklyn. Sheep said Bay. <laughs> okay. part. Uh, so Bed-Stuy, all right, B- Biggie's territory there in Bed-Stuy. Um, late late 60s, early 70s, who was the best baller in New York City? Who was running the game in Rucker Park?
0: Oh, man, Joe Hammond. Hmm. Joe Hammond and maybe Pee Wee Kirkland, they were in the 60s, early 70s. Those two guys. Uh, kind of ruled the roost. You know, you heard about uh, Helicopter knowings and Earl Matagall, but they were prior to that. Uh, you know, Joe Hammond's one of those guys that had extraordinary basketball feel and sense, but, you know, school wasn't for him. And at some point, you know, him being in his teams, uh, you know, when they when in the Rucker, they would announce, say, our school, Power Memorial, and this guy's from this And, you know, high school All-Americans, you know, Joe Hammond would be called All-Mount Morris Park, which is where Hmm. the Rucker was for a little while um, back in those days. And then in the unlimited, the pro side, Pee Wee Kirkland, you know, he was uh, he was the bad boy, Walt Frazier. Hmm. He somehow had his Rolls Royce and, you know, had his uh, his shark skin suits and and all of that. The trappings. Um the problem was, you know, he was making his money in a different way and he'll be the one to admit it and ultimately paid the price for it. Um but uh he could he could ball, there's no question about it. Those are some good days.
1: Who like you reached the NBA level, had some success, was the best baller from the city. I mean Kenny Anderson comes to mind obviously from Queens. Um but do you have one name in particular who came out of the city who excelled in the NBA?
0: Oh, um, you know, I mean, there are a lot of guys you're talking about before me, during, uh, anytime, my anytime. Oh, I mean, when you look at, I mean, you look at the city. You can look at um, Roger Brown, uh, Connie Hawkins,
1: uh, Connie Hawkins, yeah, uh, Connie pace.
0: Archibald. Uh, man, it, there's a there's a, a list when New York was really reign. New York reigned supreme as far as uh, schoolyard players who went through the the uh, real traditional route of. The schoolyard and high school, and then college, and then the NBA. Um, I mean, I, I like I said, I could name a, a, a ton of guys that uh, you know. Fly Williams was he had his taste in the NBA for a while. World be free. Hmm. Um, Julius was, wasn't from the city though. Julius was from Long Island. People it doesn't but the count. <laughs> it doesn't count. Okay. Uh, who else? And then you know, I had guys. Uh, my era, Kevin Joyce. Uh, Brian Winters had a long period. Brian Winters and I were teammates with the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, talking about some of the Catholic school guys, uh, Tom Owens, John Roach, uh, even, uh, let me see. i tell you a guy who played pretty good high school basketball, didn't go to college and had a tremendous pro career, but it wasn't basketball. It was baseball. John Candelaria, hmm. uh, who was obviously a terrific pitcher for Pittsburgh Pirates, Um
1: we are a history I mean, I lesson did. right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there there are guys, and I'm sure I left out a ton of guys, and I'm talking about after me. You named a bunch of guys after, uh, you know, the Kenny Andersons, the Mark Jacksons of the world, mm-hmm. people like that. But, um, you know, there were just so many guys. And for some reason, New York stopped being the mecca. I think a lot of it had to do yeah. with uh, socioeconomics, people moving out of the city go to warmer places places where they could be employed uh the other element was uh you know the drug scourge and so many quality people succumbed to you know to drugs uh and you know then finally the education system in new york where you know public schools uh just weren't on par and guys weren't prepared to go to college and you know obviously that hurt and you can see a ton of guys that lost out there so um, and St. Know, John's,
1: said. St. John's lost its prominence, prominence kind of, uh, and I think that was the school everyone pointed to if they were to come to New York, they were going to play at St. John's. And once they kind of fell off the hill, uh, it changed New York basketball.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it happened, and uh, you know it's interesting because in my junior year, I was going to go to St. John's. Really? And hmm. you know I was all set. John Kress, who was Lou Carnesecca's top assistant, he and I became really close. Um, and, you know, Coach Karnaseka, we'd talk maybe once a week. I'd go up there and watch those guys, and I'd scrimmage a little bit. Uh, but then Coach decided to go and take the job with the New York Nets and the ABA, mm-hmm. and I'd left a void. And, of course, Lefty and George Raveling and, um, and the whole staff, they swooped in and kind of turned my head. Uh, not only was the attention that I got, I got a letter or a call from them every single day. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got uh, visits, and finally when I went down to to Maryland and saw that campus, which is an idyllic campus, not too far from New York, certainly sandwiched between two big cities, even though it was in the South, you know, you couldn't help but say, you know, I want to go here. So, um, you know, St. John's, unfortunately... You know they they lost some the momentum with me, and fortunately for me, Maryland was the best choice I could ever make.
1: And it turned out pretty darn well. Uh, obviously, with the Terps, um, what do you think of the Terps this year? They've been a little bit of up and down season, fourteen and six. Uh, do you expect them uh, to get to the dance this year?
0: I, I think it's a long shot at this point. Uh, look, they've they've got some quality players uh, who can develop into extraordinary players, but they're young. They suffered through a ton of injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lost uh, obviously Jackson for the rest of the season. They lost their big man Bender. Um, talking to Mark Turgeon today, you know, he told me that um, you know they also have had guys sick hmm. uh, with flu and, and, and minor injuries. So they really haven't had the full complement of guys probably at any stretch of the time during the season. And so you know, they're they're still looking for continuity. They're still looking uh, for a team that, that's got chemistry. And, you know, they've had some good games. They made some mistakes, particularly in the Michigan game the other day. And Mark put some of it on himself because after they hit the shot, the go-ahead shot, they celebrated too much and they didn't really listen to instructions and the coach couldn't get their attention um, before they went back out on the floor. And Ultimately, Michigan made them pay uh, 3.4 seconds they wound up uh, getting a free throw and just pretty much at the buzzer almost. So, and then uh, two free throws were able to put them ahead. But that's really the problem with Maryland at this point in time: uh, injuries to key guys, young, inexperienced, and, and the lack of, of full chemistry at this point. It's not to say that they can't recover uh, going forward, but it's kind of going to be an uphill battle. Three and four right now mm-hmm. in the Big Ten.
1: Len Elmore joining us, former ABA and MBA. Big man and uh, former TURP and now Fox Sports College basketball analyst. I know you're going to go in a couple of minutes. Uh, Jojo White, uh, Celtics legend, passed away on Uh, Tuesday. Uh, Can you talk about memories you had with Jojo?
0: uh, First of all, he was a a class guy on and off the court. Um, You know, really a a great competitor, but just certainly a gentleman. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had the great fortune of being able to sit and talk with him periodically. Uh, not only during the time we played, but after this, after our careers were over, um, both being members of the National Basketball Retired Players Association. At one point, I was chairman of the board and actually the executive director and, you know, had uh, exposure to JoJo from that standpoint. And, you know, he's just uh, another one of those great guys uh, from the old days, good people that, um, you know, we just losing too soon.
1: Um. Last one for you. I, I hate to throw his uh, name in an interview, but Lavar Ball, I wanted to get your reaction to uh, him. Yeah, that, I mean, so Lonzo's dad. Uh, I mean, he's more famous than Lonzo these days. Uh, what do you think about him sending his kids to Lithuania? Do you think that'll work out? Do you see them ever uh, getting to a major professional level somewhere at some point?
0: Look, I, I hope for his sake that it does work out because his relationship with his kids will be poisoned. Otherwise, it's particularly, how do you take the youngest, a sixteen-year-old, out of school? Mm-hmm. First of all, you take him out of school and say you're going to homeschool him anyway. And now, I, I I don't know how much schooling he's getting, homeschooling, whatever, playing over in Lithuania. None. Yeah. It, you know, and then that that's the bottom line. He, he literally has taken. Uh, an education opportunity away from that young man and his other son as well. And I wish he you know, he put the pressure on uh, Lonzo, but Lonzo I think is going to be all right. Uh, matter of fact, it might be the best thing that ever happened to Lonzo with his father on the other side of the world. <laughs> uh, but, but in the end, you know, that's, that's the problem. I mean, this is all about him. Uh, the selfishness is unparalleled uh, with regard to, you know, what this is all about. He's made it about himself and not about his kids. And yes, he, he cloaks it in the guise of, you know, I'm trying to help my sons and everybody, but every single day he opens his mouth is self-promotion and, you know, it's really not doing anybody any good. And, you know, I think that going to listen away, was just trying to salvage uh, a mess up created by him. And, and in the long run, uh, you know, it's, Hopefully, I think, I hope it's going to work out for his guys, because if it's not, then I think that poison relationship between his son and father is going to emerge, and that's something nobody wishes on anyone.
1: Yeah, Len, I agree 100%, and I kind of hate myself for it, but I do watch the Ball in the Family show on Facebook, (laughs) Uh, just because, I don't know, it's captivating. I don't know why, uh, because I guess there's the emotional side of it with his wife battling through a stroke and... Uh, speaking with the yeah. family there's parts of it i like and i i kind of want to punch myself in the face for the continuing to watch it every week uh but it's yeah, a, it's people amazing are watching,
0: people are watching kardashians <laughs> right? oh my
1: i'll never succumb <laughs> to that level never uh len elmore appreciate you coming on man sorry about the uh technical issues uh glad no we problem. could have you